0: Welcome to this week's edition of the NinersNation.com Better Rivals Podcast. My name is Oscar. My name is David. And this week, it is another Womp Womp Wednesday with a moral victory question mark. Uh, (laughs) What is a touchdown? And David, are you indeed a touchdown jinx? Explain (laughs) yourself, David. God damn it. Explain yourself.
1: Dude, it was uh, like I thought I was going to have a rare moment to actually watch some of the game live. So I finished up the game that I was working on, which was like Dolphins Chargers. That game wrapped up early and I like quickly checked the score. Right. And saw that the Niners were actually leading. and was like very confused. And, and so like flip it over to the game. Two plays later, they score a touchdown. I was like, fuck this. I'm done. And I went back to doing other things.
0: So you are a, a, a touchdown jinx is really the takeaway here. That's what you do. You're, you're yeah, apparently
1: I'm just like not allowed to watch games live anymore. Um, yep. So, I mean, bad news for Thursday then, because this is going to be like the only
0: game all year that I get to watch live. Yeah, this is uh, this. is them's The rules. Can't watch it live. You're going to sit outside on the porch, on the deck, uh, <laughs> things that that's basically where you belong. Jared Goff about to go ham. Oh, man. Before we get to Jared Goff, we're going to cover, of course, the recap against the Seattle Seahawks, which was a lot closer than we anticipated. We both predicted that the Niners would not cover. They indeed covered, and then some. It was a 12-9 win, uh, and we'll begin that game recap here in just a little bit. But first, the rundown. Of course, this has basically become injury central. Let's just call it what it is. (laughs) Seriously. So Eric Reed has a PCL injury, and if you listeners are like me, you might be asking yourself, hey, what the hell is a PCL? Well, I thought the same thing. WebMD to the rescue. The PCL is similar to the ACL. It connects the thigh bone to your shin bone, and it's apparently larger and stronger than the ACL, but the PCL can still be damaged. Uh, and later on in the WebMD article, it talks about how since it's stronger, it can actually pull bone off because it's that strong. So, yeah, I look, I, I don't know what that means in terms of recovery, but he's it, got a torn or a sprained ligament in his knee, and it sounds like he's going to miss a couple weeks. And that generally isn't good. Also, can we just get rid of all turf in general? Thanks. Goodbye. <laughs>
1: um, I Larger and stronger than the ACL is not very difficult, though. I mean, that's like
0: whatever. I'm not too concerned. Are you that. saying that that describes me, David? That describes me? I larger mean, and stronger than the ACL?
1: It's like saying that, uh, is, that, that like, we're larger and stronger than like an
0: eight-year-old. It's like, yeah, sure. Okay. That should. Are we talking Swedish eight-year-olds? Because I've been to Sweden. (laughs) Those eight-year-olds are huge. Um,
1: I mean, it sucks. Everybody that we really wanted to see in this defense that we were really excited about, like, was we're going all throughout the preseason, right? And we're talking about this defense just at length. And uh, we're talking about some of the players that we're excited to watch, like, in this new scheme. And all of them have either A, been hurt or B, gotten hurt uh, since the start of the season, pretty much. I think DeForest Buckner is the only one that's still... Uh, kind of standing there because we've been without Jimmy Ward, you know, obviously we've got a little bit of him this week, but he's been uh, missing th- this entire time. Um, now we're without Ruben Foster. Now we're going to be without Eric Reed for uh, a little bit. So uh, yeah, it kind of sucks. I mean, this is, I guess the, the only fortunate part of, of the, this injury is that at least we're getting Jimmy Ward back right at the same time so that we can move Tart down to, to strong safety, uh, let Ward handle the free safety duties and, and not be, I think, completely terrible there. But, yeah, it's, it's still a bummer. Because, obviously, this was a, a player that's, uh, I think, off to a pretty good start. You know, nothing nothing too crazy. But um, somebody that, I think, really fit this defense well. And was excited to see him uh, have a full season and see what happened. But we're
0: going to be without him for a little bit. We can't have two things that match, dude. Can't yeah. have two things that match. We ain't got nothing in this house that matches. Got peanut butter and no jelly. Cereal and no milk. This is the life of a Niners fan. Now we got Jimmy Ward and no Eric Reed. Uh, can't have, we can't have nice things apparently. No, this is just what this year is going to be like. This is why we can't have nice things. So let's get to the game recap really quickly because it is, it, it was a surprising game on a lot of fronts. The fact that the score was so close was surprising. The fact that it was not a complete embarrassment. And this was the most competitive the Niners have been in Seattle since like 2014,
1: yeah, since, probably since they won last, right? Has there been a close game in Seattle since well, the last time that they won, like by two points or Jim whatever Jim Harbaugh, I
0: think, won his first game in Seattle. Uh, yeah,
1: Alex Smith won. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, correct. And then after that, they, I feel like they've just gotten their shit kicked out of him every time.
0: Basically, and I think the NFC Championship game was... Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, that, 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 was, yeah, yeah it, that was 2014, yeah, yeah. And, and that was the last time the Niners were competitive. So this this was indeed a moral victory game. But, you know, we the optimists here at the Better Rivals podcast are here to tell you that moral victories suck. Moral victories are for losers. Moral victories are what you tell people to make them feel better about losing. This is not the—and while, look, we're Niners fans. We're used to, to moral victories. This is what we've clung to throughout the dark years that was the decade of darkness. We were, you know, kind of relieved from those moral victories for three years with Jim Harbaugh. And now we are thrust back into the land of moral victories. But guess what? They still suck. They definitely still suck.
1: I, I hate also that, um, and like very much me more so than you, uh, that like very much considered like the pessimist of this whole thing. And really- Oh, you are absolutely the
0: pessimist of the whole thing. The,
1: the the funny thing though about it is like I'm in in real life, I think very much an optimist. Like if I lean any direction. Um it's like realistic with football and everybody else is, uh, I guess, maybe overly optimistic. That's how I'm going to look at it. I'm not a pessimist. Yet. You you guys, everybody else is just overly optimistic. Um, more victories do suck. Um, I mean, though it. So I think it all comes back to expectations, right? And and what you thought this team was going to be this season. And I think for for us, and I know definitely for me, especially and something that we talked about in the preview was really all that I wanted to see out of this season was you know, one, I want to see some of the players that we think are going to be around for, you know, the next few years and, and have a chance to be on the next good 49ers team. You want to see them develop and, and continue to to improve and, and get better there. Um, and then also, I think you just want to see uh them be more competitive in situations, right? Like last year and the, and the year before, especially, it was just a series of getting blown out. I mean, last year was a little bit better, but still like largely just getting your ass kicked every week
0: you could consistently turn the game off in the third quarter last year yeah i mean consistently
1: yeah and and so i think those are the type of steps right uh if you were i think realistic about where this team was going to be from a win-loss standpoint and you were and you're going into most games basically expecting a loss then i think yeah this is a good thing right because it's still you know they're still not good they still have a lot of problems but um, they were able to go do something that they haven't done in, in a while and be competitive in Seattle and, uh, you know, against a team that, you know, th- I don't know, maybe this is the year that the offensive line finally kills Seattle, but probably not. Right. They're probably going to figure it out like they always do and go on a, a late season run and be in the playoff hunt and, and do what they do. So, I mean, this is still a good football team. Um, and so, yeah, it is, I think. In a sense, encouraging to see these young players come out and be competitive in that situation.
0: I don't, and so we'll get to the things we think here. I I, I don't know that this that Seattle is necessarily a good football team this year. I just I don't know, man. I I it's two weeks in. I have yeah. to remind myself it's a small sample size, but and they do this every year. So every year Seattle start starts, slow. starts slow, and then they win like they, six, they go six and two in the last they, eight they games, peak
1: late, and yeah. and just uh go crazy. So yeah. I think um until it's kind of like. You know, I feel like we, we talked about with the defense one time. It's just like you kind of have to expect that it's going to be really awesome until it finally isn't. Right. Yeah. And uh, I think that's kind of where you're at with Seattle as a team is you have to expect that they're going to figure it out and and be a good team again until they don't.
0: So what are the things we think in this game? It, it's going to be first off that this team is still very much limited by talent and Kyle Shanahan knows it. If you look at the game plan in this game, it it was very clear That Kyle Shanahan did not want the ball in Brian Hoyer's hands longer than like, I don't know, a a second and a half. You look at the route combinations. Don't blame him. Yeah, you look at the route combinations. You look at how quick uh, he wanted the ball into the flat to the outside. You look at the rub routes. You look at the screens. This was a game plan that was tailor-made to get the ball out of Brian Hoyer's hands quickly. And even then, Brian Hoyer could not get it out uh, of his hands to any degree of effectiveness. In his Monday press conference, Kyle Shanahan said, quote, we had a couple deep shots planned early, but the protection didn't hold up. You can't expect to make a living against this pass rush. Trying to throw deep will lead to more sacks and turnovers. And, he I mean, he knows this team's limitations, and he tried to create a game plan around it, and then Brian Hoyer happened. And Brian Hoyer is, well, Brian Hoyer.
1: Yeah, I mean, this is, uh, he's not a good quarterback, right? Like, this is... Uh, kind of what been insane for a little bit, but, um, he's really struggling. I mean, yeah, they, it, it's, it's very clear that they want to get the ball out. You look at the route concepts, like you mentioned, um, everything's very much like, uh, a lot of three step stuff, stuff designed, you know, to, to not have the ball in his hands very long. Um, like three quarters of his passes, it was like 72% or something like that. Um, and pull it up here. Yeah, seventy-two point four um, percent of his passes on Sunday came out in two and a half seconds or less, um, which is is a very large percentage. Um, and, and so it's just a, a kind of a situation that we, we seem to have been stuck in now for several seasons because uh, we dealt with a lot of the same problems with Blaine Gabbert and with Colin Kaepernick in terms of uh, just consistently throwing the ball short, consistently throwing the ball short. Uh, on third down and and just being unwilling to challenge deep. And and I thought, you know, after especially after the first game and, and what we saw in the preseason and all the Marquise Goodwin hype uh, that we were going to see at least, uh, you know, a handful of design shots a game. I mean, last year, the, the 49ers average, it was less than three deep passes per game, which was by far the fewest uh, number per game of any team in the league. So they were just the
0: utilization of Torrey Smith
1: hyper, hyper conservative. Yeah. When it came to taking shots down the field and, and I get from a game plan standpoint, like Seattle, that's what they do incredibly well is limit those deep passes. So, um, I, I guess I could see it for this week, you know, being more of a game plan thing that you don't think that you have a high chance of success with those, but you just still want to see the team like try, and take a couple shots deep, you know, uh, and, and try to push the ball downfield a little bit more than, than what they did.
0: Brian Hoyer is more than likely linebacker blind oh and, and maybe wide receiver blind. I mean, th- we saw a play where he threw an interception to Bobby Wagner, and it wasn't even like Bobby Wagner is trying to disguise his coverage. Bobby Wagner lines up as a middle linebacker, stays as a middle linebacker, And is in the middle of the field occupying the only area in which Carlos Hyde is running into on an angle route and throws it basically directly to Bobby Wagner because Bobby Wagner is just staring at Brian Hoyer the entire time. And it's a really that's that's like Bush League interception. It really Uh, is.
1: It's I mean, and, and it seems to be kind of this repeated pattern now because um, he
0: threw a pick in week one to pick in I think, week one.
1: Honestly, like God, and I, same thing. Linebacker. I don't, I don't even want to go there anymore. Um, but if there was a better linebacker on the field during that preseason game where he threw it to Carlos Hyde for a touchdown, but he really wasn't trying to throw it to Carlos Hyde. <laughs> that fucking pass probably would have been picked off too. that linebacker was sitting there on the round. He just didn't do anything. Um, and, and so I think it is concerning. Yeah, I mean, he. Like and some of these were weird. Like there was another one that he got lucky on that Wagner um, ended up knocking down, but very easily. Like could have picked if he had a little bit of a better reaction to it. Um, it, it, It's it's a problem. Like these are especially if you're now going to be an offense, right? That uh, is is really trying to design itself to be like this quick game, three steps, get the ball out uh, type of, of, of route. You're throwing the ball underneath a lot. Like if you have a problem identifying underneath coverage. Uh, that's, that's going to be a problem. Like you're going to run into a lot of situations like that.
0: Now, when we say he's wide receiver blind, this is the one that I think is the most alarming because <laughs> this was in the third quarter, about 12 minutes in, and you've got, uh, you've got a, a whip route run by Trent Taylor and Brian Hoyer staring right at him and the defensive back falls and Brian Hoyer doesn't pull the trigger. It would have been an easy first down. So then he comes to the other side of the field. And on the other side of the field, you have a very similar kind of, of slant and same kind of thing. Defensive back falls down. Brian Hoyer still doesn't pull the trigger, doesn't throw it. And then ultimately, I think he ends up getting sacked. And, and oh
1: no, he holds on to it. So Trent Taylor was the first guy. Oh, right? that's
0: right. And then he ends up going back to the middle. And then Trent back, Taylor keeps running it. and he throws it to, to Trent yeah. Taylor, but it's behind him and, and it's already and, gone. And, 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 and it's dirt. just, yeah. And it's one of those things where it's like, okay, you're you not only, I can understand if you feel like you're under duress or whatever, or... Maybe you're blind and you can't see a linebacker, but you were literally staring down a wide open receiver and you do not throw the ball. And And this is the limit that this is the limitation that Brian Hoyer is as a quarterback. You know, you think about the, his time to throw and David, you mentioned it earlier, but he averages a throw in 2.22 seconds between snap and throw. That's the fifth shortest time of all of, of all NFL quarterbacks. That was his time this Sunday. And, and that's really, really quickly. But what what's his pressure to uh what's his time to pressure? you mentioned it earlier his pressure- his time to pressure is like two point five seconds or something like that
1: yeah, so like as a team right now um they're allowing so when the 49ers allow pressure offensively, that pressure is getting there on an average of two point one nine seconds, which is the fifth quickest um so far this season through two games so uh a lot of yeah when when they're getting pressure like and the pressure is is like fairly often it's not absurdly high or anything like that it's not houston or uh or arizona this year which are just like uh allowing pressure at such a crazy rate um but it, it's still fairly high and and when it comes though it's coming very very
0: quickly so uh it, it, aka up the middle of the field
1: not only are they like by design trying to get the ball out quickly but a lot of times even when they're not the the defense is you know if they try to hang on to the ball a little bit longer um the, the defense is forcing them to try to get rid of it but yeah you have you still have plays um where they they are getting you know providing protection and you see you know like the the one that you mentioned there with uh having two wide open receivers this was on third down too This a third and sixth play an opportunity to have an easy conversion and, and get into seattle territory and have an opportunity to just get some points on the board um and you you miss the the easy ones and it was like those are the ones that you have more of a problem with right if you're you're remembering that he's Brian Hoyer and that he's not a very good quarterback. You're not expecting him to make these crazy high level throws, right? Like there was a play that I mentioned to you, um, that was down in the red zone earlier in the game and he had Goodwin coming on a crossing route. And it would have been like, he had an opportunity there to make a throw for a touchdown. Um, but it would have been a difficult throw. Like it would have been a, a throw where he really had to anticipate and, and put the ball in a good location to get it away from Earl Thomas. Um, so it wouldn't have been an easy thing to do. And when he, when he passes up those opportunities, Uh, or doesn't take advantage, like, you're okay with that, right? Like, that you're not really expecting him to do that. But you got to be there to take the easy ones. And and he's even missing on some of those, which is, I think, a much bigger problem.
0: So ultimately, you've got a quarterback who needs to get rid of the ball and gets rid of the ball super quickly because if he doesn't, he's going to get hit but even when he does get rid of the ball quickly he doesn't do a very good job of diagnosing underneath the coverage and so far he is average, he's on pace to throw like 16 interceptions on the season uh all to linebackers basically every single one every single yeah. one and and you think you think to yourself okay this might be a preseason where you're thinking okay they're going to be able to succeed off of play action especially if they can keep the game close this was the game script for the 49ers this year keep the game close keep it within striking distance and make it so that the teams have to respect the running game and play action. And this game was shaping itself to be just that Carlos Hyde had a really good game, had his longest run of his career, and we were able to have, you know, kind of enough ups and downs in the running game that, that they had to respect it, especially because the score was close. But when you look at Brian Hoyer's rating again, when he's utilizing play action, It's just not there, and it's not as high as you would think it would be, especially given what we saw in the preseason. Brian Hoyer has the worst passer rating on play action in the NFL currently. His 39.5 rating on 16 attempts uh, is just not very good. Both his yards per attempt when throwing play action are worse than regular uh, when he's not using play action, and his completion percentage is also further down than when he's not using play action. That's the exact inverse of what we would expect from a, a Kyle Shanahan offense and B what we thought we would see uh, against you know, just basically defenses like that's just usually not the way that it works. Usually teams are a little better with play action, even if they're they're the same. They're usually not worse with play action, even in games where it's close. So, I mean, Brian Hoyer, I, I was definitely 100 percent incorrect. when I even tried to fathom that Brian Hoyer was in somewhere near league average in terms of quarterbacking. Um, Yeah, dude, it's, you know what? It's probably because he brings his lunch pail to work. He
1: does bring his lunch pail to work. I I think that's, uh, this is just like the latest reminder, right? These first two games. And again, you have to play both sides of it. And I, I I do uh, maybe contrary to, I think what a lot of people think is like, like I very much try to, to, to look at things from both sides of it and then, you know, kind of make a decision from there. And I think, uh, if you're trying to skew positive, right? It's only two games. Two games is a small sample, um, and, and we don't know uh, a ton about this team yet, right? We we don't have enough information um, yet to know what they're really going to be like for 2016. Is the way that you go. But the other way is that like we, it, it's a reminder not to put a ton of stock into what we see during camp and what we see during the preseason because uh, a lot of what's happening is really only a surprise if you did put a lot of stock in that, right? If you, if you talk, if, if you were listening and buying into the stories that Brian Hoyer was this leader and he was a great fit for, you know, he's reunited with Shanahan and uh, he's going to be able to put up good numbers because of that, uh, that, that, that sort of pairing and, and all of that stuff. And Marquise Goodwin, he's ready for a breakout year, but then you balance that against like, we have a lot of real football games of these guys playing and, and not playing very well. That is, is going to be the baseline. That should be the baseline. And right now, that's what they're playing to. Brian Hoyer is continuing to not be very good at playing quarterback. Marquise Goodwin, still not a dominant receiver, still really nothing more than than, uh, kind of a deep threat that uh, struggles to catch passes consistently right now. Um, And then Kyle Juszczyk is uh, very much not an offensive weapon, as it turns out. Dude's barely seeing the field right now. He's playing 33% of the snaps, um, very much doing regular fullback things. Uh, It's kind of, uh, you know, it was absurd thinking uh, about that contract, even with like, uh, you know, hoping that they were going to use him creatively and find different ways, uh, different things to do with him. Even then it was painful, but like now that you're just using him as any old regular fullback, like, what is the point of that? You could have, you could have picked up some dude like in the seventh round or some undrafted guy to come do these things. Like there was no reason to do that. Um, so it's, it's, for, yeah, I think we're seeing a reminder of, uh, of again, a lot of what we would have should have expected based on real action is outweighing the stuff and, and all the positive stuff that happened in this off season.
0: And, and I think that's probably the takeaway for me. And and you've mentioned it a couple of times on the show thus far, which is you've got, I mean, this is Brian Hoyer's ninth year in the league. I, I kind of, for whatever reason, I omit basically everything except for like Browns, Texans, Bears. <laughs> I, I forget that he was with the Cardinals for a year, and that he was with the Patriots for three. Like, I forget all of that. And, and so for me, it's the like, original Brian Hoyer hype. Brady's backup. He was like, was
1: he? Yeah, maybe the first Brady's backup. Uh, was, uh, I mean, that was that
0: was oh nine. So yeah, or I mean,
1: Castle? No Castle. Yeah, was, Castle he was, was after Castle. One. Yeah, he yeah.
0: was after Castle. So. Yeah, I mean, I forget that, you know, you've got a lot of film of Brian Hoyer not being great and, and he's peaked with, you know, a pre-injury Bears team and a Texans team where he melted down in the playoffs. And and those and those are the things I think that that are reminded or that we're reminded of when we think of these players, I guess, fondly, for lack of a better term. And with Marquise Goodwin, you know, we we see him in brick by brick and we're like, you're you're a good human and we want you to do well. Yeah. Um, You know, but I remember that I also used to watch him at Texas run really fast and not catch the ball, Um, you know, and, and and that's been the problem that he's had since Texas. So, you know, I think it's, it is a healthy reminder that when you've got, you know, two, three, four, five, or nine years of football (laughs) of these players being, you know, at best at their peak average, you shouldn't really expect them to come in and be incredibly above average when, you know, they have a coach that is doing wonders because we do see wide receivers run wide open. Um, you just don't have the offensive personnel to get to them. So one more thing on the offense in terms of thing we things we think before we get to defense, and that's going to be on that final drive. Because this, to me, the 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 final drive, both on offense and on defense, were kind of the turning points in this game, among other things. I mean, you've got little plays here and there, but this is where you think to yourself, okay, the team... Just got punched in the mouth. You've got Russell Hustle Bustle, who does what Russell Hustle Bustle does. And he scrambles around and manages to throw a touchdown here in the fourth quarter. The 49ers get the ball back with about seven minutes left in the fourth quarter. And you think to yourself, okay, what's happened here? Number one, and this kind of just goes back to the idea of, you know, the, the team just doesn't have the talent in order to compete right now in games like this. But the first play, it's an outside zone. And Trent Brown, who had a really, really good game, but, you know, defensive players get paid too, and he gets pushed two yards into the backfield by Michael Bennett on an outside zone, and it basically ends up bottling up Carlos Hyde just long enough for the rest of the defense to swarm. If Trent Brown makes that one block, he's probably going to get maybe a three or four yard gain, and the offense can stay on schedule. You go to the next play, though, and now it's a play-action pass to Trent Taylor, and it's a a slant-flat. Jeremy Lane makes a great open field tackle. And all of a sudden it's third down and nine. And because Shanahan knows that he doesn't have the, the horses or a quarterback to throw nine yards on third and nine, they try a rub route with Garrett Selleck. Your number one offensive target. Tell me how that turned out. Garrett Selleck Surprise me. Carlos Hyde and Garrett Selleck on the edge. And I mean, honestly, if you were listening to Tony Romo in his broadcast for the, the saints against the Patriots, when he, when he was predicting his play and he predicted an end zone fade, he said, when I see a big dude out there with a little dude <laughs> and I, see, and I see, and he, I mean, I'm, I'm kind of paraphrasing, but he says, when I see a t- a big tight end out there with a wide receiver and the wide receiver is aligned on the inside and the tight end is aligned on the outside. I'm looking for a pick. I'm looking for a pick fade.
1: Um, and, which, and that's what happened. And, which, and by the way, do we, I, do we talk about this last time? My mind bit. is like n- melting with all of the, it's, it's like all blurring together. Uh, Dude's been great. Oh, oh my, my god. Yeah. It's I like
0: it's insane. Uh carry on. But yeah, but you so it was pretty obvious what was gonna happen when you saw Garrett Zellick and Carlos Hyde out there and they do their little rub route and Garrett Zellick catches it and sure he gets, you know, six yards, but hey, those last three yards are the most difficult to get on third and nine. <laughs> and all of a sudden we're punting and, and we're giving it right back. And and this is that that drive to me was a microcosm of just a, a, a team being limited with the talent it's got. A coach understanding that and a coach trying its, his damnedest to get the most out of the team with rub routes and and ways to kind of scheme these players open. But at the end of the day, if you don't have the players, it's going to be very, very difficult to win and win consistently in the NFL. And that's what happened on that last, off, on that, on that last offensive drive.
1: Um, I'm going to say one more unpopular thing because everybody <laughs> already hates me, so I don't really care anymore. Um, we talked about this last year, right? Like Chip Kelly. He was designing... Like, it's a much different offense. Way different in terms of how they approach it. Yep. But guess what? They were dudes that were schemed open last year, too. They don't have the players. Um, and this is kind of the thing that, like, the... I think the point that we've been driving home, uh, people that I, I apologize for those of you that have been listening for years and years. Like you've heard this a million times at this point at this
0: rate, those people Um, have tuned out.
1: I mean, probably (laughs) are they they just going to know they're like, they got their little four, uh, fast forward, like 15 second buttons on their, their phones that they're like mashing like five times to get past (laughs) this, uh, this section. But yeah, I, I mean, you, you can only do so much, right? I think you can do a little bit more on offense um, with scheme and in terms of helping your players out uh, than you can defensively. But at the end of the day, like you need players. Um, and, and even if guys uh, are are coming open, like you have the best scheme in the world, but if your players can't execute, it doesn't matter. And, and I think right now that's where we're at with this offense, especially like, I think they're uh, very much is is hope for the defense again, to continue to develop. They still got a, a ways to go, but Uh, I think there's more hope there offensively, like they need guys, like they need players. Uh, and, and this is going to be kind of how things roll until, uh, they have a chance to get those players in.
0: So first thing we think this is a team that is still limited by talent. Kyle Shanahan knows it. And it was evident all over the field, most notably with Brian Hoyer, but especially on that last offensive drive, even with some of our best players, that's Trent Brown included. You're still going to have some issues because defenders get paid too. So the next thing we think is going to be about the defense, and that's going to be that while this defense is very, very good, we still have a ways to go, both in terms of a defensive coordinator who's probably still growing into his own, but also similarly with players that need to perform up to snuff. So let's break down each one of these plays as you go through, because you know, this was a defense that was... Bottling up the Seattle Seahawks over the course of the game, they had some lapses, but overall they were able to contain and keep everything in front of them, especially in the run game. But then all of a sudden in the in the the Seattle Seahawks' minute offense, the defense was not able to hold up. Why were they not able to hold up? It was a combination of really good play calling by the Seattle Seahawks, really not so great play calling by the San Francisco 49ers, and just players that weren't able to do what they needed to do. So play number one. You've got Robert Sala, who is amped up and ready to do something. So he calls a double A-gap twist blitz with with both inside linebackers. And guess what? The play is an outside zone. So you basically blitz two people right to where the running back is not. And that meant that they didn't have any linebackers that were able to flow to the play side. And it was really easy for Carson to get some yards. Play number two. You've got Buckner, who blows up the play. But Carson, he gets paid as well. He is able to shimmy right around Buckner and is able to pick up one or two yards, but the defense looks to be okay. Then you get a really, really good play call from Pete Carroll on a split zone play that is designed to cut back and target the middle of the field. And you've got a tight end who just gets enough of Navarro Bowman to open up this huge gaping hole uh, in the middle of the field. And Carson's able to get a bunch of yards. And then DeForest Buckner, apparently the only defender on this drive, (laughs) is able to make an ankle tackle on the next run. And then all of a sudden, the play that basically seals the deal, you've got Pete Carroll with a fantastic call to run to the weak side, to the boundary side. And in this case, you've got a player on the 49 ers side, Eric Armstead, who heads straight the hell upfield, doesn't squeeze his backside gap. Ray Ray Armstrong can't make a play, would have been difficult for him to do so, but He's just not going to be able to, to flow that way, especially with Armstead leaving a huge gap open. And voila, you've got a 14 or 16 yard gain or whatever. And that basically ices the game because we have no timeouts. So every play was like a little bit different thing. You've got the best player on defense performing to his best player role, but you've got other players not filling their role and then you've got really good play calls from Pete Carroll, or or not from Pete Carroll, but from Daryl Bevel, and you've got uh you know a defensive play call that was kind of poorly timed, and all of a sudden, you've got a drive where the team is able to just, you know, kind of not necessarily fall apart, but things just didn't work at the end of the game, and you end up losing.
1: Yeah, I, th- I think it's very much an element of, you know, those other guys get paid to right, uh is, is kind of the thing that, that you hit on there. And um, I think with you know, some of the play calls and stuff on that final drive, like especially so, right? Like the last play. So the, the very final run before they they're able to go and, and take a knee uh, and, and end the game there. Like that's, that's just a really, like, I don't know defensively that that's necessarily like a bad call or, or anything like that. I mean, it, it was, you'd like to see better play from Armstead. Absolutely. He's, he's aligned much wider than I think he probably should be given the situation. Like, you know, that they're going to be trying to run out the clock He's really in in a position that uh, you would expect more from like a pass rusher, right? A third and long, a guy that knows he's just going to get upfield uh, and try to get after the passer. Um, this is like the opposite of that situation. So he's he's already kind of making life a little bit easy on the offensive lineman uh, to, to be able to kick him out. And then he takes a poor angle to the ball, right? Like you mentioned, gets upfield rather than kind of coming in at a 45 to, to really help his defense out and help squeeze that that space for the running back to be able to get through. Um, but you look at the way that it was set up, right. And it's, uh, you got basically three receivers to the opposite side of the field. It's to the wide side of the field. So of course, defensively, you have to match up over there, right? If you don't match up, um, to those three receivers and, and get guys in the, in the proper place over there on the strong side, like they're just going to change the play and they're going to run over there to where they have numbers. Right. Um, so, so you kind of have to react and adjust to that and you end up with your, your support players, your strong safety over on that side, your defensive line has shifted a little bit that direction. And so, um, yeah, you, you end up with one player now kind of uh, being a little bit out of position and, and being aligned in, I think, in, in, in an improper spot. And that's the difference, right? It's just one player. Like, and same thing with the earlier run, right? It was, uh, I really think, I mean, Bowman ends up being kind of like the key piece because he's filling that gap. But um, really, it's Earl Mitchell that's the nose tackle there, that gets moved probably seven, eight yards, um, you know, down the line of scrimmage to really open that lane up to begin with. And and it puts Bowman in a really difficult situation where suddenly he's got a ton of space to defend. It was
0: legit a four and a half yard gap.
1: Yeah. Like it's, it's a lot of room there and that's a lot to ask him to, to defend, especially when you have a guy, uh, coming to block him that's coming from a very advantageous angle, right? He's got a good spot that he's coming from. Um, and so, you know, if if Earl Mitchell's able to uh, hold his ground a little bit more and squeeze that space and and not give them such a, a wide area to run, well, then maybe Bowman's able to take on that block a little bit better. And, and, you know, they're able to make a tackle there as opposed to letting him out into open space and into the secondary. So uh, it comes down to just a lot of times, you know, we talked about this last week with the run blocking, but I think the same is true in run defense, uh, where sometimes it's just one player, right? One player that's Uh, Not really doing his job or doing it very well is uh, can can lead to like these big plays or these um, things that can kind of ultimately be
0: turning points. So So let's switch to some things that might be bright spots on this during this game, because this was indeed a a 12-9 game. And while it's definitely not a win and moral victories are something that losers say, there were definitely some bright spots in this game especially when you think about the offensive line. And I say bright in, I guess, the most muted of sunglass tones of bright. And that is good old Lincoln Tomlinson. Uh, he was definitely an upgrade on the offensive line, but the jury is still out on if he can be good. And And that doesn't mean that he's not already better than Zane Beatles, because that's for damn sure. He is just, jury is still out on whether or not he can be good. <laughs> his his grade overall was 50, based on Pro Football Focus's grading. That means he was a bit below average, but even that was a whole hell of a lot better than Zane Beatles, which was basically abysmal. And the thing about Lakin Tomlinson was that the, the rap on him coming from Detroit was that he was a better run blocker than he was a pass blocker. And and that proved to be the case against Seattle. He had key blocks on both of Carlos's hides, really big runs. And at this point, we'll take a player that is competent in at least one phase of the game because it's better than a, than a player that is incompetent in both in Zane Beatles.
1: I mean, it, it is really you very much notice the uh, non Zane Beatles quality about him. Um, it's it's really something that sticks out uh, that that's kind of pleasant. Um, yeah, I actually uh, was pleasantly surprised with how well that he played in this game. I mean, uh, there, there were a couple things in path protection. You know, he gave up a couple of pressures there, but uh, ultimately it wasn't the sort of um, just like. Uh, decisive pressure that he gives up. Right. That's just like instantaneous, like gets knocked off the spot and
0: my head uh, is over my ankles. My arms are out grasping for air. I don't know what to do with my body kind of pressure.
1: Yeah. Just like things that make your brain hurt when you, when you watch it, uh, the, the, oh God, it's just the worst. Um, and and so I think, yeah, you, you didn't really see that sort of thing um from him in pass protection. I think, yeah, and in the run game, um, he made some really good blocks. You know, it, it wasn't perfect by any means, but I think it was very much an improvement. And when you consider the fact that again, he's um just getting acclimated to to playing with his team and, and a lot of offensive line play and getting good offensive line play is about that kind of cohesiveness up front and and everybody being on the same page. And I think that's something that they're still uh, struggling with at times. Like there, um, there are plays in the run game that, that look a little off at times. And then you see some things like there were a couple plays, uh, in this game where it looked like maybe not everybody was on the same page in pass protection, like a call was made and, uh, you know, one player expected something else and and it kind of ends up to this, um, blown protection where you have guys running free. So I think there, there are some elements there that, um, will hopefully get cleaned up over time as this unit gets used to kind of playing together in this system a little bit longer, but, um, I think, yeah, it's 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 very it was a low bar to clear, but he cleared it um, in, in terms of Tomlinson. I think um, there's reason to believe that he can get better, you know, in the in the coming weeks.
0: So we're going to switch to special teams a little bit. I know special teams, right? You hardly ever hear that on this podcast, but definitely worth because I don't watch about. those plays. Uh, definitely worth talking <laughs> about here in a little bit. But last question I'll ask you before we get to special teamers and the spotlight player of the week. Is this game a matter of the Niners defense being good or the Seattle Seahawks offense being terrible or some kind of intermediate combination thereof, Uh, because this is now the Niners second game that we've performed very well, especially against the run. It helps that basically you've got a bunch of run stuffers during your base downs and you've got two teams. Well, Carolina, we played primarily base, but then against Seattle, we played nickel. And, and this is two games though, granted, it's just two games, but where the defense has performed, um, admirably and has performed much better against the run is is this, you know, kind of a small sample size, wait and see, or is this like Seattle is actually just that horrible, um, or, or is this defense something that we can actually begin to say like, okay, we should expect them to, to perform well as we move into games where we should dominate worse offenses.
1: Well, I don't know that we're going to get there. I don't know whether we're going to get to dominating um, at any point this season. So, yeah, I think it's somewhere in between a little bit. Um, I think it makes sense that they are much better uh, in terms of run defense, right? Like you mentioned a, a little bit there, like they're very much aligning things and setting things up defensively um, they, they have a, a very clear focus that they want to stop the run and that they want to be better against the run, right. Uh, from everything from, uh, you know, the scheme that they run in general, just being a, a scheme that, you know, you want to stop the run with because you get that extra person that's, uh, that's in the box by having your safety down. Um, and then also just the personnel that they're using, right. We talked, uh, just, ad nauseum about uh, Eric Armstead and, and how we don't like his fit at Leo. But the benefit of that is that he's an excellent run defender for that position. Right. So, um, I don't necessarily love him in that much space, but I mean, he, he can really handle those tackles. Like uh, most tackles he's going to be able to to hold up against in, uh, in the run game and, and be great in that regard. So, uh, I think from a personnel standpoint, the choices that they're making there set him up. So I would very much, you know, barring just, uh, another run of injuries or something like that, where they're without a lot of these guys, um, I would expect this run defense to continue to be pretty good. Um, I don't know that it's going to be dominant. I think right now it's like an 18th in DVOA. That sounds about right. Like I think middle of the pack, um, which is a a big improvement from where they were at last year, right? So that's that's uh, nothing to to be discouraged about. Them only just finishing in the middle, like that's that's a huge step forward for them. So I think that should be the expectation. Um, for me, I'm still in wait and see mode from a pass defense standpoint. I think yeah. this defense or, or this game was, uh, was better in that regard, um, than it was in Carolina. Um, and you know, the, on the positive side, you're hoping that as the, the familiarity with the scheme, um, gets better and you get Jimmy Ward back, which we think is going to be a key piece there. And I, and I thought I did think that he looked, um, you know, pretty good in the, the limited number of snaps that he played. Um, that that continues to get better. But I, I'm still very much I'm not that's not the expectation for me yet. I, I, I still would not be surprised at all to see them, um, you know, have some some bad games
0: uh, if, on, on that front. So final thing we think is going to be about the special teams, and that's going to be that the punt returners and kick returners that we've got currently actually might be pretty good. And punt returner and kick returner has have not been positions of strength for the 49ers, even in the Jim Harbaugh years. We did not have super solid, super strong punt returner, kick returner. I mean, Ted Ginn in for, 2011.
1: That's like, that was like the one little flash. Like before yeah. then you got to go back to like John Taylor before we had like a good. Hey, uh, man,
0: Otis Amy. Otis Amy had a punt return. for I mean, I guess I Dion
1: like. was there for a year. You know? Yeah, Dion uh, was there for but, a year. But it was just like, yeah, it, it's not been a focus for them for whatever reason across yeah. like multiple I think, regimes. I
0: think and, maybe PJ Fleck had like a punt return somewhere for the 49ers. Um, who I mean, had, if you got to think that hard about it, he wasn't that good. Yeah. You know You're probably right. <laughs> but Trent Taylor, uh, who compares very nicely to PJ Fleck because they're both white, uh, is, <laughs> uh, is currently fourth in the NFL on punt returns. Trent Taylor is averaging 12.3 yards per return with a long of 21, which means that he's getting consistent yardage because he doesn't have a huge, like one punt return for touchdown. That's inflating his average. He's consistently getting, you know, eight, 11, 12 yards. And, and that's really, really good because he's also making really solid decisions with where to fair catch it and where to return it. And he did not in any way, shape, or form look like he was going to mishandle a punt, even though that ball was wet and soggy in Seattle. So that's definitely good. And then Victor Bolden is tied for ninth in the NFL with a kick return average of 23.7 yards. He also looks super speedy at the kick returner slot. So this might be one of those areas where it's going to be a, a sneaky good well, that's not true. That's a stretch. It's going to be a non-abysmal part of the team, and and this yeah. isn't al- this isn't always something that's been the case. And if we can get hell a touchdown or two over the course of the year from this unit, that could be one of the swings in one of those super close games that ends up getting you know the, the fourth or fifth win against the team that we didn't think they might win against.
1: Yeah, I, I mean it's been I think uh, pretty surprising. I mean right now they're fourth in DVOA and special teams, um, and a lot of that has been uh, because of the value added on punt returns. So right now. Um, so the way that they kind of do their special team stuff is, is each phase is kind of broken out into this, uh, how many points did they add, you know, relative, they to they being
0: to football outsiders.
1: Yeah. Or, or that, that unit. So how many expected points basically did that unit generate compared to average? Right. And so, uh, right now the 49ers are fourth. It looks like, uh, also in, in terms of, uh, value added in punt returns, um, also doing very well in the kicking game. So, uh, every unit right now is above average. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a, an area that looks to be pretty solid so far. I mean, I know um, Trent Taylor especially is graded out really well for us at PFF in terms of his grade on, on returns. I think he's tied for the second highest punt return grade currently. Um, you know, all, again, all limited sample, only two games, you know, and, and then when you're talking about special teams, which is an even smaller part of the game uh, on a snap basis, like it's it's certainly nothing to. Uh, to bank on at this point, but yeah, they've been good. And um, if that can continue, I mean, that's the way that they sneak out an unexpected game, right? Is, is if you can get really great special teams performance and uh, all of a sudden you have a return that goes for a touchdown and you get some extra points or you get uh, is field position switched and set your offense up with a short field, right? Really helps them out. Um, so all of those sort of things can, uh, you know, kind of create this perfect storm uh, that, that lead to an upset win here and there. So I think that's uh Something that, you know, again, like I, I joked, like I barely even watch special teams plays as, as they uh, are happening during games. So
0: um, something to maybe uh, pay a little bit of attention to. So final thing before we move on to what to watch against the Los Angeles Rams is going to be our spotlight player of the week. And while you might think that spotlight player is going to be Carlos Hyde because he had an amazing game and he was one of the reasons we were in the game against Seattle very late in the game. The spotlight player of the week is going to be one Mr. Trent Brown. And he's going to be a player that, you know, the rap on him coming into the season was that he was going to be very good in pass protection and suspect, especially in the run game. When you put him in Kyle Shanahan's system, he wasn't a player that was going to easily have the athleticism to perform some of the blocks that this scheme asked him to do. And yet in this game against the front seven, that was uh, good. I mean, this is a really, really good front seven. He held his own. He did not give up a pressure in the passing game. He did have one lapse in terms of, you know, the, the, the play that we talked about earlier where Michael Bennett was able to push him back in the backfield. But that one play does not necessarily make one, you know, one player's evaluation over the entire game. And this was a game where he did indeed play very well. And he and if he can sustain this level of performance over the course of a year, which is still yet to be determined, he's going to you know, take a step forward, I think, compared to where it was last year.
1: Yeah, it's been very surprising. I mean, I've definitely been a critic of Trent Brown in terms of uh, the run game, especially. But I think he uh, has looked much better. Um, You know, obviously we we happened to highlight um, one of the plays. that wasn't so good, but I think he had a really tough assignment in this game. I mean, he was lined up against Michael Bennett um, for a good portion of the game. Michael Bennett spent uh, the wide majority of his snaps on the left side of the defense. So going up against. Uh, Trent Brown there and and thought he did really well. I mean, you mentioned the clean sheet and pass protection. He actually has yet to allow a single pressure uh, through both games. He's one of only uh, looks like five tackles so far to be able to claim that and two of those tackles um, have only played in either one game or so it looks like one one is from Tampa Bay. So obviously, their first game was canceled. Um, And then the other one uh, looks like I think Newhouse got hurt um, for Oakland and or excuse me, not Newhouse um, player from Atlanta. Um, I think he got hurt in the second game because he only played nine snaps. So, um, yeah, in terms of uh, like full time guys that have played two games, basically three tackles so far have not
0: allowed a single pressure. Uh, and he and he's not doing it from. against really weak defensive fronts. I mean, he's doing it against Carolina and yeah. and Seattle. And those are two really, really good fronts. And yeah, I do think that pass protection is going to be the thing that he can hang his hat on. The question will be whether he can can sustain this in the run game, because if he can, then whoa that is the seventh round
1: yeah that's a game changer i mean to be honest through two games uh he's looked much better than joe staley like joe staley looked like ass this week um really in both phases i think you know better in the run game but um it was really kind of a rough game for him i think and uh yeah i think if if he can all of a sudden you know solidify into all the hype you know i don't know that we're getting best right tackle in the nfl like von miller thinks yet no um but he's been very good i mean he's uh, pretty clearly their highest graded player so far uh, through the first two games. So I think, yeah, it was it was definitely time to uh, to call him
0: out as is having a really good performance. All right. So what are we going to watch against the Los Angeles Rams? This is a Tuesday night. We are recording on a Tuesday, a day early. Uh, we had all of uh, I don't know, a lot less time than normal to prepare for this damn show, which I don't like. <laughs> not uh, at all. Yeah, it was it was stressful. Not going to lie, but. Uh, What what should we watch against the Los Angeles Rams? And I think the first thing that we are set to watch is going to be Brian Hoyer versus the Blitz. The Rams blitz on 35.7% of their pass plays, which is eighth most in the NFL going into week three. And when they do blitz, they're very, very successful on generating pressure. They have a 50% pressure rate when blitzing, which ties them for second in the league. So my question really is, why would they blitz? Like, what, what, like, I mean, you, you've got a defensive coordinator who knows his way around a defense. Y- why would you blitz at this point when you've got the front seven that you do and you've got an interior line that is, you know, maybe upgraded with Tomlinson, but still suspect? So do we really think they're going to blitz that much or do you think we're just going to rush for
1: um, I think Wade Phillips, uh, I actually, I could be, it could definitely be wrong on this, but I feel like he's a guy that kind of is, it goes with like the Vic Fangio approach, right. Or like the, the Seattle approach and the stuff that we're now doing where they're, they're very much a, we're going to do what we do type of, of defense. You know, they're not, and apparently that's bliss. uh, yeah, they're not like Belichick, you know, where, where that could change week to week, you know, it's very game plan oriented and, and they could be a completely different team, uh, one week, one week than they were in the previous week. Um, like I feel like you're, you're getting, you know, Wade Phillips is a guy that's been around a long time and, and I think you're going to get, uh, he runs his defense, right? He does what he does and they believe that they're going to just be able to, to kind of out execute and and go that way on defense. And, um, I, yeah, I would not expect that to really change, uh, against the 49ers. I think, um, you have, yeah, I mean, you have a front there and they have some, some athletic players, you know, with like guys like Mark Barron being a linebacker, former safety, you have guys there that that are very athletic pieces that you can kind of use creatively. Um, so I think, yeah, we're going to see that. And I think that how Brian Hoyer handles that. I mean, obviously, you don't necessarily need to blitz to get pressure uh, against this offensive line. Aaron Donald's probably going to you know just dis- destroy somebody like multiple times, um, which is actually is it bad? Is, is it like I think this makes me probably a bad fan, but I actually really love playing the Rams because I love watching Aaron Donald play, and even though he just like absolutely destroys us every single game. Well, um, I think like I love watching top talent play like that. And he's just, he's so good.
0: I think it's probably not bad because the last two years you've been able to watch the Niners play Aaron Donald and emerge with the only wins of the entire year. Yeah, so it's, it's a, go. it's a win win. There you go. You get yeah. to watch Aaron Donald and it's a win. Um, man, Kyle Shan- if Kyle Shanahan opens 0 and 3 and he loses against the Rams, he will do the one thing that Jim Tomsula and Chip Kelly never did. That's lose uh, a game to the Rams. Really? Did we win both games against the Rams uh, in the Tomsula year as well? I'm Is pretty sure or that or we o? did. I'm pretty sure that we did. I'll I'll look, but I'm 90% sure that we did. Oh, man.
1: Uh, yeah, I, I think, I mean, it's not unreasonable, right? I mean, uh, I... I actually would probably expect that to happen. I don't know. I'm going to kind of expect the Niners to lose most every game uh, this season. So um, I don't know. Yeah. So I think Brian Hoyer against the Blitz, that's going to be one thing to watch because I think we should really uh, expect that to happen from this defense. Again, they've been very successful when doing so. um, And and so that's going to be a big thing. I think uh, defensively, one thing that I'm interested to watch, I don't know that, this is going to be like a huge thing in terms of uh, turning the outcome of the game necessarily. I mean, I guess you could get a big play here or something like that that does, but um, I'm interested to watch how Quan Williams handles Cooper cup in the slot like Cooper cup obviously was a guy that got a lot of hype during the draft process um, and has actually been uh, pretty good so far. Like he's tied for fourth in yards per route run from the slot uh, after two games. And so I think how Quan Williams Uh, handles him is going to be interesting thing to watch because teams have really gone after him, uh, through the first two weeks. So he's been targeted 13 times, which is tied for the most. And when you put that on like a per snap basis, uh, basically once every like 3.3 snaps that he's on the field, playing pass coverage, teams are throwing the ball at him, which is again, it's also tied for first. So, uh, he hasn't really given up any big plays yet, but there has been some stuff after the catch, uh, you know, that cups like kind of a shiftier guy that, that can create some of that stuff after the catch, Um, so I think, yeah, that's just kind of a a matchup that I'm going to be interested in watching.
0: So you've got the Kwan Williams versus Cooper cup, uh, battle, but then you've also got Jared Goff on the deep ball. Jared Goff is a quarterback. Oh, hold on. Before I get too far into it, uh, Jim Tumsalo did not win both games against the Rams. He lost his first game. Uh, to I think like their third string quarterback or something like Austin Davis is probably who we lost it to <laughs> oh
1: yeah that, um, okay
0: yeah yeah, I do remember that I'm pretty sure that was the Austin Davis game and oh, then God. and then it's the it's the three games after that that three we beat the Rams it was the it was the final game or the second to last game and then the two games of course that Chip Kelly won were both against the LA Rams uh, or I guess back then St. Louis Rams so uh, for me it's going to be Jared Goff on the deep ball Jared Goff is a quarterback that was not good last year he had a historically bad season last year and then you get him a year removed not even a full year removed but just like an offseason removed from jeff fisher <laughs> and and it's like all of a sudden he was just reborn he was born again christian hallelujah quarterback is born jeff fisher removed he was exercised. basically he exercised a jeff fisher demon and now he's very very good but jared goff on the deep ball has been ridiculous yeah, his quarterback rating is like damn near perfect on the deep ball. It's like, what was yeah. it? Like 150. Uh, one fifty
1: one one forty six point eight. So which is third among qualifiers right now. Um, Sam Bradford and Alex Smith of all people are, uh, have had odd, very good games to start the season that won't stick. Um, but yeah, he's, he's basically, he's nine of six for two Oh five and a touchdown, no interceptions on passes
0: traveling at least 20 yards in the air. Um, <laughs> you compare that to good old yeah. Brian Hoyer. Uh, Brian uh, Hoyer can't complete a pass. I don't know that yards. he's completed. Uh, uh he's completed, he two, completed. I think one, uh, so I, he
1: is, uh, not, no, he has not completed a deep pass. So
0: I think a he's deep pass, completed, but, that's, but deep pass is like 15 plus right now. Like uh, 10, 20, 20 plus 20 plus. Yeah. 10,
1: oh yeah. I know it's intermediate stuff is a challenge right now. So I know going to deep is just like fucking oh, mind explode. Um, but yeah, he's got, uh, he's got two attempts so far. Hasn't completed either of them. Had the good win. Uh, Drop, I guess, in the the
0: uh, yeah. first game against the Panthers. But um, yeah, uh, this is going to be interesting, especially because this is the game that Jimmy Ward is going to be back. Finally, Tart was injured in the game against Seattle, but he looks like he's ready to play. So this is going to be a game where we finally get our true free safety and it's going to be against a quarterback that, for whatever reason, has been able to play the deep ball very well this season. I mean, Sean McVay is a quarterback friendly coach. And so I can definitely see Jared Goff not necessarily sustaining this kind of perfection over the course of a full season, but being a much better quarterback and exhibiting some of the skills that made him the first quarterback taken in you know the draft two years ago. So it is going to be interesting to see what that looks like. And if he can sustain that against the defense, which again, while the run defense is better, the, the pass defense is sometimes a little iffy.
1: Yeah, I think that's really the angle, right, of course, for, for us that we want to see is because uh, the 49 were awful last year against deep passes. They had the worst passer rating allowed um, on those passes going over 20 yards in the air uh, by like a pretty solid margin, actually, too. Um, and so they've been pretty good statistically so far through two games, um, mostly because Cam Newton. So in, in game one, it was more a story of, cam Newton missing some opportunities that were there, uh, more so than the, the the secondary actually playing really well and preventing those. I thought they looked much better in that regard against Seattle. Um, but they didn't really attend. It was kind of very un Seattle, like usually they're very much a team that's going to, uh, you know, you have Russell Wilson taking a couple shots deep, um, down the field to those receivers. So I think that was something that we didn't really see, but they did look to be in better position. You didn't have guys, running free, you know, in the secondary, just wide open for them to to be able to hit and and we're just missing. So I think that's what we wanna see is like is this secondary? Cause again, the personnel, the scheme's different, but the personnel is largely the same um for guys that have really significant roles um you know from last year. So wanna see if they're continuing to improve and being able to to kind of limit those big plays that can really kill your defense.
0: And then lastly it's going to be Ray Ray Armstrong versus I don't know anything, everything. Ray uh, Ray. Himself? Ray, yeah, basically <laughs> himself, like one of his dreads. Who knows, man? I don't know. But Ray Ray Armstrong did not have a good game against the Seattle Seahawks. And what's concerning is that he was a player that had some really positive games two years ago and, and, and flashed a couple of things here and there to the point where you think he could be a serviceable backup. But against Seattle, he was out of position on a couple of zone read plays where he should have scraped with Solomon Thomas and wasn't in position to make a play. He was late to a couple of different plays. Didn't flow to the right hole. I mean, this is a guy that just looked like, um, you know, I mean, it looked like he was, I don't know, the you know third or fourth or whatever, will linebacker, and that's a, and that's about <laughs> what he was. I'm mean, now that I think about it, you know, and, and so the question is going to be now that you've got Jared Goff and you've got Todd Gurley, who looks like he's back to being Todd Gurley at least to a certain degree. This is going to be another uh, another area where the team might target, where the Rams might target a defender with some more weeks at runs. run so it'll be interesting to see how well ray ray holds up against whether it be uh whether it be girly in the passing game or in the run game and whether or not that ends up costing the team as it did at times against seattle
1: yeah i mean he's been really bad which was just kind of uh i mean i think it's surprising how bad like to, to the degree of awful that he's been uh so far in these games just because You know, he was a player that when um, Malcolm Smith was signed and, you know, obviously we raged over that contract and and that signing in general, and you you saw him as, like, this player that hasn't been very good for a while, and um, why did they sign him? And, like, Ray-Ray Armstrong was a, a player that you pointed to as, like, he was pretty good last year, right? You got Reuben Foster. He should obviously be the guy that uh, that comes in there as a starter. And then you have Ray-Ray Armstrong as your backup, because, and, he, and he was somebody that looked pretty good when he was in there before he got hurt last year. And, and so you can feel comfortable with that, and you don't feel comfortable with that right now. I think that might actually be one of the the worst things about Eric Reed um, actually leaving is because, one, you're missing that other like really good run defender that's in the box there, but then when you went into some of your sub-packages... You could end up, you know, with Foster hurt now with just Bowman being the lone linebacker and have Tart basically play as that dimebacker in there. And that's now not going to really be a thing that you can do because you don't have a third safety.
0: Can't have two things that match, man. Can't have two things that match. Uh, So, all right. So let's get to it. Let's get to the projection. Last week, we were both incorrect. We both thought that the Seahawks would cover. That was not the case. So we are both one on one in the year. And that means that we have, uh, this is going to be the rubber match three, three weeks in. This is going to be the all-important rubber match uh, <laughs> that isn't important at all. But the the spread is just three, Rams by three, which uh, I guess at this point with home field advantage, I mean, it puts you at like five, but the I mean. So, yeah, so, so that means they basically Vegas thinks that the Rams are three points better. because yeah. three points is usually your, your home field advantage yeah. spread. So, so what, um, what do you think? Do you think that they cover or do you think that, uh, that it's going to be another one of those close ones that ends up going, uh, the, the, I guess the Niners way. Cause I mean, really in order to cover three points, you've just about you get, got to win. Yeah. Uh, it's, it's
1: not, I feel like not very often that you lose by one or two. Um, I don't know, man. Like, so I, I think I'm probably going to have to pick the Niners here just because it's not going to happen really at any point. Uh, like the rest of the season, for the most part, like, and, and, I mean, maybe the other Rams game, but this is the home game. Um, you know, it, it does suck cause it's on a short week. Um, and, and that always like makes things a little bit different. I think maybe, I don't know if that necessarily helps or hurts. If you think Kyle Shanahan's going to be like, you know, some master at, at getting a great game plan together. Um, or is it that he doesn't have enough time to get his great game plan together? You know, I don't know. So it, I think for no other reason than, they're going to have to win a couple games this season. You know, I think they're going to win four or five and, and this seems like as good of candidate as any of them.
0: Yeah. I, uh, I, the, if the, if the spread were larger, if the spread were five, uh, maybe even six points, I would say, you know, I would take the, um, the no, no, you know what? Not even going to go there. I'm just going to go ahead to pick the, the Niners to win. And that means that they cover straight up. Cause I think you're right. The, they've got to win a game or two. This seems like as good. Oh, does this does, does this change your opinion? So the if you look at the consensus spread, which Vegas
1: Insider does, uh, it's actually down, so it opened at three. It's down to two and a half, so it
0: could be a field goal. Are you still going yeah, to you I mean,
1: change your mind? Are you still pick, you picking 49ers' win? Yeah, or I'm, you I'm
0: picking them to win straight up. I think they okay. win this game. I think the last two defenses that they faced were very good, and while the Rams' defense is definitely coming off of you know a couple of years where they've been able to shut down some offenses like Seattle's offense and they've been the strength of the team. I do think that they've made some interesting choices with their corners. Um, and and overall, I think they're not as good of a defense as the Carolina or Seattle defenses that we've been facing. And so that means we're good for like, I don't know, a touchdown. Uh, and
1: <laughs> well, I think, I mean, Hey, Jermaine I, I think,
0: Johnson had a pick six last week. I think that's um, the think better question. Do the Niners score a touchdown this game? Yeah.
1: Okay, so I'm gonna like flip it because I was gonna ask you this follow up question because the over under uh, is 40, which is
0: ugh. oh no, uh, I'm going so I'm going the under. going under right? Yeah. You gotta
1: go under like oh
0: I'm going the under, but His the Niners still is... win, and that means that it's probably like 17-13.
1: It's gonna be a Thursday night football game. It is it's with gonna two be a of the football worst football teams game. in football. That's exactly uh, right. That's that's gonna, exactly right. It's gonna right. be excellent. I can't wait.
0: Yeah, Thursday night. You heard it here first. Make sure to follow us on Twitter. I will be live tweeting during the game. Hey, me too. Actually, uh, oh, this that's be, right. This will be like probably the only time uh, this entire season. So, oh, man. Yeah. That's, uh, yeah, so you'll be live tweeting. Uh, you can see a lot of the plays that we're talking about and that we've talked about throughout the show on our Twitter feeds. You can follow me at Better Rivals. David, where can they follow you? It's going to be at Newman NFL. That's right. And you can always uh, subscribe on iTunes, leave us a review. It helps other people find the show. Uh, it helps us move up the uh, the old iTunes rankings. We're also on Google Play if you do that. It, it, maybe if you want to listen to it on your good old Android device, you can find us there. Uh, and, of course, we're also on SoundCloud. So if you want to get the episodes as soon as they're released because you are a better rivals fiend, I get it. I totally get it. I don't understand blame it. it. Yeah. I don't blame you at all. Uh, but you can do that on our SoundCloud page as well uh, because the Internet is a marvelous thing. It is indeed. So thanks again for tuning in. And, as always, go Niners. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown full Fultron! Fultron!
1: It's not Voltron.